0: Thank you, Miss Emily. That's pretty incredible talent that God's gave you there. Thank you for using it for the Lord this morning. Amen, church. I'd ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn again in your in the New Testament, this time to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I will ask you now to stand with me as we honor God and read in his word together. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6. I'll begin reading at verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or one of the chairs close to you. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and open in my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to be in your presence as a church family together here on the first day of the week. The day we remember when Jesus rose again, the day when we remember that a A new rest started. That we enter this rest through Christ and cease from our labors, Lord, and rest in the finished work of Jesus. How sweet it is to know that we can breathe in grace this morning. With all the faults that we have, the struggles with sin. Even as believers, hard callings upon our life, things that you tell us to do that are not easy. How great it is to be able to just breathe in grace. To know that we, our hearts beat spiritually because of grace, not because of works that we don't keep ourselves alive by our own efforts, but by what Christ has done. We rejoice in this gospel, this good news. Lord, help us to manifest this breath of spiritual life through prayer. Let it be a not just an indication that we're alive spiritually but lord let it be the means of our strengthening and, and our helping others lord and our church family and that you might be glorified so teach us teach us how to pray teach us what to pray and lord if we're honest lord we have to we have to say this lord make us want to pray In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. A couple of things I want to say about prayer right here from the scripture. One is this, is that we all need one another's prayers. Amen, church? Is there anybody in here that would raise your hand and say, I don't need anybody praying for me? (laughs) Now, sometimes it may be that we don't want to necessarily share all of our prayer requests for everybody. We don't want everybody to necessarily know our business. We don't want to, Pastor Steve or Marcia to send the prayer request to the email and everybody in church to let us know to pray for this or that in our life, and that's okay. But let's be clear from Scripture we see right here that we all need one another's prayers. If you look at your Bible, the Bible says in verse 18, to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. And notice what the end of verse 18 says. Are you looking at your Bible? Making supplication for all the saints. Now notice that, making supplication. Supplication simply means to petition, to ask God for something in prayer. That we're to pray for the saints. The saints are to pray for us, but we're to pray for the saints. In fact, the saints are to pray for us because we're all saints. We're all set apart By faith alone in Jesus Christ. In that sense, we are all saints. There are no capital S saints. We're all saints on the same plane. Through faith, the ground's level at the cross. There's no status in heaven of these believers and those believers, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And so we are to pray for the saints, to pray for one another. So we all need one another's prayers, and we see this in the Scripture. We all need to pray for one another. That means we need to have relationships that are close enough to one another so that we know each other's needs and we can share those needs with one another. It's going to be very hard to do that if we don't meet together regularly, correct? Correct. It's going to be very hard to meet that if we don't meet together in meaningful biblical fellowship. And so I thank the Lord that there's opportunities through Sunday school and small groups in our church family where we can fellowship, we can share those needs, and we can pray for one another about those things. God says to do that. God's the one, not just Paul. Paul wrote the words, but God inspired the words, and God says to us, Make supplication for all the saints. Why does God say that? Because God intends to do something for one another through one another's prayers. The way that God's going to do something for us is by us praying for one another. That's what, that's, how he's, that's how he's established it to happen. So we all need one another's prayers. Don't be a lone ranger. You can't be. And be strong in faith. We all need one another's prayers. And the second thing I want to say about prayer right at the beginning is... We need to pray for one another in the Spirit. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. Notice what it says in verse 18. Look at your Bible. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Well, we won't go into a long explanation of that because I've preached on it really twice now in the last few weeks. But basically to pray at all times in the Spirit means that sometimes we can pray in the flesh. Sometimes we can pray and not be thinking about what we just said. Sometimes we can pray in a very mechanical way. Jesus called that vain repetition. We're just saying words, but we're not thinking about who we're talking to and we're not thinking about who we are and not thinking about what we're saying. So it's not mechanical, but it is spiritual. It is meaningful words that are used. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that he seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So we need to pray for one another in the spirit, with meaningful words. A lot of times folks come up to you during the week, maybe with a text or maybe with a phone call or maybe in a conversation or an email. How often does somebody say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me about this? Sometimes three or four times a day I have have somebody asking different people, saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And I'm glad to hear those requests. I wonder at times when I ask people for prayer about my own motivation, though, when, when I'm asking somebody, would you pray for me, do I want... Is it empathy I'm asking for? I wonder sometimes in my request for prayer, Ryan, would you pray for Pastor Steve if really I am just wanting empathy? And what I need is not empathy, although that's good to do for one another, would you agree? But what I need... Is not just empathy. What I need when I say, would you pray for me, is I need you to cry out to God for me. When somebody says, pray for me, what needs to be behind that is, would you cry out to God to help me? And the word says here, making supplication. You see that at the end of verse 18, making supplication for all the saints. Again, that word supplication is another word for prayer. It's petition. It's asking God for something. God, supply. Supplication, supply. God, supply this. What kind of prayers do we really want? What are we asking when we say, would you pray for me? What's somebody asking? What kind of prayers do we want versus what kind of prayers do we need? There's a lot of things we should pray about in Scripture. The word supplication is used many times in Scripture. and In those contexts, you see people praying for people to be healed. You see p- people praying for physical needs, jobs, healing from cancer, stress at work, problems in marriage, help with exams at school. All those things are biblical things we should pray for one another about. And then a lot of times the response when somebody says, would you pray for me, what do we say? Or somebody says, I'm going through this and I'm going through this and it's just tearing me up and I can't get it off my mind and they're, they're sharing this burden with you and, and you're listening on the phone or you're sitting next to them talking with them. And you say, I'll be praying for you. You get, you get a group text from several people in the church saying, hey, I'm, I'm going through this, everybody, please, I, I need your prayers. And, and you text, I can't do it that quick with my thumbs, but I'll be praying for you. I don't know, sometimes to me when I send that text back or I say that to that person on the phone to say, after they've shared that burden with me that they're so laden down with, to say, I'll be praying for you seems so trite. It seems, I know, I know otherwise, so hear me, but it seems so trite. It seems so insufficient. I, I'm thinking, how's this person receiving this? I mean, should I text a whole bunch more and say, oh, I, I know what that's like, or I don't know what that's like, but, you know, I hear one, I don't know. It just do y'all tracking with me ever feel that way about how to respond and to say I'll be praying for you? Just doesn't seem like enough. But but we know otherwise. We know that the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We we know that prayer's the best thing we could do for someone. And if there's more that we could do for someone, we would do it, but really the best thing we could do is to pray. As believers, what 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 do we need prayer for the most. And really the big question here this morning as we launch into this is how can we best pray for one another? So to tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, of course I need to pray and sometimes just stop right there and pray for them right then and there. But how can we, whether that's, whether that's at that specific time or a set-aside time in prayer, how can we best pray for one another? That's the message this morning. So two ways that we can pray best for one another we pray about all these specific needs but there's two ways that we can pray for one another no matter what they're being asked prayer for or what their need is this is something maybe that might be overlooked at times and i want to encourage you as a church family to pray for one another one way to make sure we're not overlooking in prayer is to pray for believers to know the love of christ so if you get a phone call or if you find out maybe you don't get nobody's contact you just find out somebody's going through something terrible that's a believer and and no matter what it is pray for that believer to know the love of christ no matter what they're going through that believer needs to know the love of christ the church is always in spiritual battle notice the scripture says here pray at all times in the spirit at all times Why does he say at all times? Because the church is always in battle. This comes out of the context beginning with verse 10 of chapter 6, if you looked at it, all the way through there. It's talking about spiritual warfare, about Satan's fiery darts being launched at believers. So he says, pray at all times in the spirit because the church is always in spiritual battle. He says, at the end of verse 18 to that end, keep alert with that in mind, keep alert with all perseverance. Always be alert. Always be ready. Always be prepared to pray in the spirit because the church is always in spiritual battle. Making supplication. God supply. God help. God crying out to God. Begging God. So he says making supplication at all times. Making supplication again means to supply. God provide. God take care. What supply do we need At all times and all situations. Well, the church is always in spiritual battle and the church always needs to be strengthened to stand. The church, believers, always need to be strengthened to stand, spiritually, to stand in battle. The church is always in battle. And what is it that God wants for the church at Ephesus here in this book? Here at the end of chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, What is it that God is concerned about as he inspires Paul to write this letter to the Ephesians as he's sitting in jail? What's God want them to do? What's God want the church at Mount Carmel, First Baptist Church at Mount Carmel, what's he want us to do in the midst of spiritual battle? Finally, he says in verse 10, look at it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He wants us to be strong, you see that? Put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. Do you see that again this morning? The church is always in spiritual battle, and so the church, the the supply that the believer always needs is to stand firm, to be strong. The church must always be strengthened to stand firm. So, pray for believers to know the love of Christ. What's God's concern for the church? To stand, to persevere. There's a story of the missionary, Captain Alan Gardner. He served with the Royal Navy in Britain. Later became a missionary And serving as a missionary, he made his way eventually to the tip of South America to an unreached people group. And as Alan Gardner was there, Captain Alan Gardner, he and the group of men that he was with found themselves stranded somewhere, um, starving to death. They had not eaten in days. They didn't have any drinking water. And one by one, they were dying. They were expecting to die. They had Nobody was around to help them. And Captain Gardner wrote in his journal about this in his dying, those dying days. He would talk about how so and so had just died. And now all he could do, he said, all I can do is lay here and wait for the inevitable. But he said, and it's written in his journal because he and the bodies of the others were eventually found along with his journal there underneath a boat. On a beach in South America, he had written these words, I'm overwhelmed by the love of Christ. I'm overwhelmed by the love of Christ. I'm not overwhelmed by the thought of dying. I'm overwhelmed by the love of Christ. Paul prayed this way in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17 through 19, the Ephesians had many believers. They were sick people in his day in the church at Ephesus. They were people whose marriages weren't going well. And no doubt, those things were being prayed for. But I want you to notice the content of his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says this. This is how he prayed. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Notice what he says in verse 18 of chapter 3 may have strength, be strong, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So pray for believers to be healed. Pray for their marriages. Pray for Crystal as she homeschools the kids and pray for one another as we face different challenges. But the supply that any believer always is, at, is, need, is in need of in the midst of spiritual battle is to be strengthened, to be strong, to know the love of Christ. So more often in my prayers, but not just recently, but often when somebody calls me or sends the text or I get an email or I find out about a situation and I stop in that moment or later in my set-aside time that I have in the mornings to pray and at other times during the day, my prayer is, Lord, help them with the cancer or help them with the diagnosis or, Lord, help them with this situation. But often my prayer is, and sometimes with that person on the phone or at the hospital, God, strengthen them in faith. And That's what I just want to remind us as a church, and maybe you already do that for believers. But when you're actually praying right next with that person holding their hand, Or you're praying right there uh, with your eyes closed in your office just for the 15 seconds that you have when you just got the text and you got to get right back to work. Pray for them to be healed. Pray for that specific request. And God, I pray that you would strengthen them in faith. I pray that they know the love of Christ. When I have more time to pray with somebody or counsel with somebody, I usually just really quick refer to Romans 8 and pray it. God, you've already done the hardest thing for us. He that spared not his own son but delivered him over for us all, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? God, you've already done the hardest thing for us. The worst thing that happened to us is not going to happen. God, help this believer. Help my brother right now. Help him to know and trust in Christ because you've already proven you're trustworthy. I don't know how many times I've prayed that with somebody. And I hope it's not just a mechanical thing, but I want to encourage us. Folks, God's prayer is the means of strengthening one another, helping your brothers and sisters. Pray that way. Pray for believers to know the love of Christ so that they may be strong and stand. Secondly, pray for believers to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Pray for believers to know the love of Christ. Secondly, pray for believers to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Because no matter what situation a believer may find themselves in, whether their marriage is in a wreck, or they just got a horrible diagnosis from the doctor, no matter what it is, We're always to be on mission everywhere and every day. Pray for the believer to know the love of Christ and pray for that believer right in the midst of that situation to glorify Jesus by proclaiming Jesus Christ to those that are around. Pray for them in two ways about this, proclaiming the love of Christ. Let me share with you. First of all, pray for them to proclaim the gospel clearly. I appreciated Brandon's prayer this morning a few different times in his prayer, praying about unbelievers and praying for us to witness to unbelievers in our community. He prayed that we would be clear in our words. And one of the ways that we see right here in this passage of Scripture that when we pray for believers to proclaim Christ, pray for believers to proclaim Christ clearly, to use the right words. How many times have you talked to somebody about the Lord and later think to yourself, Oh, I wish I'd have thought of that. Oh, I wish I'd have said that. Why can't I remember those things right in the midst of it? Pray for believers to have less moments like that. To be faithful, and we're always going to hindsight's always 2020, right? We're going to think of how we could have worded something better, but pray for believers to have the right words, to proclaim the gospel clearly. Notice it's not just certain believers that need prayer. But Paul says, Pray for me. This pillar in the church. Look at verse 19. And also, he says, what's your Bible say? Also from me. Pray for him. We all need prayer. And in particular, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. So what does he want? He wants, first of all, that words may be given to me. What's he want to do? He wants to proclaim the gospel clearly. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He wants to speak it clearly, not confusingly or not beating around the bush, and that gets to speaking it boldly, right? But to speak it clearly. My boys and I have been reading the Gospel of Luke together in the mornings on weekdays. And we were in Luke chapter 20 on Friday and I have them read it by themselves sometimes, most of the time. And I ask them later, well, what stuck out to you? What do you think God spoke to you about? Or what stuck out to you? We were reading Luke chapter 20 and it's the passage of Scripture about Jesus talking to the Pharisees and so forth. And they're trying to trap Him in His words and so forth. And I asked one of my boys, I said... What 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 was it about Luke chapter twenty that kind of you re- remembered? And my boy said, Jesus roasted them. Now that's a word nowadays for getting them, I guess. You know, he he roasted them, Dad. See, what do you mean? Well, he they were like coming to him, talking about asking about John the Baptist and things like that. And they came together and they said, if we see John the Baptist, then they're gonna. Stoned us from not believing John the Baptist. They said, we didn't believe him. They're going to do this. And so they said, we don't know. And then other things Jesus said too. And they just, he just, Jesus just shut them up. He roasted them. And I remember reading Luke 20 myself. Apart from, I'm writing in my own journal a Friday morning about how I came away from reading Luke chapter 20 amazed by the wisdom of Christ. And in the thinking about this sermon, thinking, God, Jesus always has the right words. He always says the right thing. He roasts them every time. So God, give, give me the right words. I wrote this in my journal. Give me the right words, Jesus. Give me the right words. In preaching, give me the right words. In, in, in witnessing to those I may come in contact with today. Pray that. Pray that, not that we might roast people, you know, to you know what I mean, but, but pray that we that believers might speak the word clearly. And notice, to proclaim means to use words. Pray for believers to be burdened enough and rejoicing enough in the gospel to be overwhelmed by the love of Christ like Captain Andrew Gardner was in his dying moment so much that we can't speak the things which we've seen and heard. We're overwhelmed with the love of Christ and we're not just saying, okay, I'm going to share the gospel by my life. That's not how it works. Words are necessary. Notice what the apostle Paul prayed or asked for. He said, and also for me that words, you see that? That words may be given to me. Words may be given to me to open my mouth. He's got to open his mouth here. He's got to speak words. And what what is it that he's got to speak He's going to open his mouth to proclaim means to announce. It means to proclaim good news. It's like the herald going through the street saying, hey, it's, it's V-Day, victory, the war is over. And what greater news do we have than our Lord Jesus has come up out of the tomb? And so notice it says in the scripture here in verse 19, in opening my mouth boldly to do what? What's your Bible say? What's it say in verse 19? To proclaim the mystery of the gospel now we know what a mystery is no you don't because it wouldn't be a mystery right but we understand what the word mystery is It's something that we're puzzled about we have some clues and we're trying to put it together Paul says we want to proclaim the mystery of the gospel why does he say that because the mystery of the gospel this good news of Jesus is something that we see in the Old Testament prophets prophesied about That there would be a king that would come that's greater than David, that's greater than Solomon in the line of Solomon. And the prophets spoke about him and longed for him and all the shadows of the old covenant law pointed to him. But it was still a mystery. There were shadows and types and anti-types and all of that in the New Testament. And so it was a mystery. It was a mystery, this gospel, to the angels. The same angels who... We're in the throne room when Isaiah was called by the Lord and commissioned by God to be a prophet. And the cherubim and seraphim were covering their eyes and saying, Holy, holy, holy. And he said, Woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Yet, yet the angels look and they see the one who is holy, holy, holy coming to the earth and taking on flesh. And they see him. They say glory to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among men. The Bible says the angels long to look into these things. They rejoice when a sinner is saved. Oh, what a mystery that Jew or Gentile can be in one in Christ. That's the mystery he's talking about in Ephesians. That Jew and Gentile no matter who what a person is, they can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, an enemy now adopted, the sinner now as righteous as the Son of God. That's a mystery. It's a mystery to the folks here in Mount Carmel. There's people all around us that don't know this. It's not, it's, they, the puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle, they've heard some of them, but they, they've not been put together. They've not been explained. The default position of most people is that. I need Jesus plus something else. I need Jesus plus my efforts. And the gospel is, the good news is, we just need Jesus. He satisfies That's what we sang this morning in Christ alone. The wrath of God has been satisfied. He has been appeased. For the one who places faith in Jesus, God is not angry at them anymore. He treats them as his own children. But that is a mystery to those around us. But praise God, church family, it is not a mystery to us any longer, right? The gospel is not a mystery to us. He's opened our eyes. He's shown in our hearts for those of you who are believers. We rejoice in this gospel. And so we're to proclaim this gospel. We're to make it known. It is a mystery. We're to make it known and to make it known clearly. And we're to proclaim the gospel boldly. And verse 20 says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, and for the second time he uses the word boldly, that I may declare it boldly. You see that? That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The Apostle Paul says he's an ambassador in chains. Believers, believers, we need to see ourselves both commissioned and positioned to proclaim Christ. Paul was in prison. He was in jail when he wrote these words. And he said, I'm an ambassador in chains. Elsewhere in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about himself being an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is a representative one sent. And so on one hand, when he says I'm an ambassador in chains, he's referring to his calling, his commissioning as an apostle to the Gentiles. I've been sent as an ambassador. I'm chained to Christ. That's my calling. On the other hand, he's literally in chains. So he sees himself both commissioned, called by God to proclaim the gospel, and he sees himself literally, physically, in that jail, positioned, To proclaim the gospel. Right there. How do you see where you're at right now? Maybe you don't like the place you're in or the season of life. But let me assure you. You are positioned. You are commissioned. And you are positioned right where he wants you to be. To proclaim the mystery of Christ. To proclaim the gospel. If we're going to proclaim the gospel clearly, we must be bold, right? And so he requests boldness here. For which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So last, all last month, we've been talking about everyone here. So for those of you who don't know, this is just a very intentional effort on our part as a church to try to share the gospel literally with every single person in Mount Carmel over the next few years. And so we've asked families in our church to commit to take up to 20 families that will be assigned to them to pray for, to care for, and eventually share the gospel with sometime over the next nine months. Some on our leadership teams already doing it. So we've signed people up. And with all the people that have signed up, um, we've assigned families to them now. And so I want you to think about this. What would happen if this church this year, this year, really, listen, how exciting would it be if this year, this church, I hate to even use the word attempted, because some of these people are going to attempt to, and they're just not going to let us talk to them, but, but attempted, literally attempted, not just praying, not just caring, but, but we're sharing too, are going to go and ask, can we sit down to you and talk with you about our hope in Jesus Christ? What if, what if this church did that for 300 families, in Mount Carmel, with an average probably of about, let's just have a low average of three persons in each family that's assigned. That's 900 people. And guess what? You don't have to imagine it. It's going to happen. We've assigned 320 families from Mount Carmel to folks in our church family those folks are going to, those 320 families are going to be prayed for, cared for, and we're going to share the gospel with 320 families over the next nine months. That's something to be thankful for and excited about. If there's an average of three people in each family, well, you got, you're talking about almost 1,000 people in Mount Carmel are literally, intentionally going to get the opportunity to hear the gospel. It's not just everyone here. We still want to emphasize who's your one. Maybe there's one person God especially has put on your heart to share the gospel with this year. And we always want to remember, just like we just talked about, that no matter where you're at, your mission field, that every single one of us is supposed to be on mission everywhere and every day, ready to share the gospel, whoever we run into. With an urgency reflected in John chapter 4, verse 35, don't say, yet four months or however many months comes the harvest. But an urgency that the harvest time is right now. Well, folks, that's a battleground. You think that the old devil is going to sit by and let that happen? Well, God's sovereign. The devil ain't got much of a choice about it, but he sure ain't going to sit by and just let it happen. The Bible says the devil roams around a hungry lion, like a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour. So you think we need to pray for one another this year? We need to pray for believers to be strengthened in the gospel so they love Christ so much they can't be quiet about it. You think we need to pray for one another to boldly proclaim the gospel and clearly proclaim the gospel? Yes, we do. To boldly proclaim the gospel. Because there will be all kinds of reasons and excuses in our heads to not want to do it. So, in your prayers for believers, I've taken a long time, but here's a real simple way of saying it. Be sure you're praying about the sickness and these other Horrible things that believers are experiencing or need prayer for. But also pray. Don't neglect to pray for believers to know the love of Christ and pray for believers to proclaim the, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Right in the midst of that situation. The doctor just gave them the diagnosis. The doctor is the mission field. Or the nurse is the mission field. Or the family member hearing about the problems. They're the mission field. Whatever it is. Proclaim the gospel of Christ clearly and boldly. I'd encourage you, Luke chapter 10 verse 2 says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God will thrust us out. Send laborers out. Thrust us out. Push us out. Give us a push, Lord. Push my brothers and sisters in the harvest field. Well, as I close this morning, I'll ask you a couple questions. First of all, let me say, though, If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the wonderful good news is is that God has made a way through His Son Jesus for you to be forgiven of your sins to be right with God. And the Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. And I just want to ask you this simple question Do you believe what I've said? Jesus is God, He's the Son of God, you're a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus died on the cross in your place. He rose again three days later. If you want to turn from your sin and stop following yourself as king, and he'll be king. If that's the desire of your heart, and you want to follow him, and you want to repent and say, I'm sorry, and I want to follow Jesus, if you call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. Do you believe that? Do you? Yes or no? Do you believe what I'm saying is true? Yes or no? There is no in-between. Yes or no? Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Yes or no? Man, we'd love to talk with you about it. Love the opportunity to chat with you about it. Be sure and get my attention or another believers before you leave today. Call upon the name of the Lord right now where you sit. And lastly, I want to say to those of you that are believers, go and make disciples. That's what God's called us to do. Let's pray. Father I thank you for your word and I ask God that I ask God that you would take the the message that's been preached and use it to use it to help us pray more intentionally for one another. Help us to not think that prayer is a trite insufficient thing. We know better than that. So Lord help us to pray for needs and Lord help us to pray for sh- the strength of believers and for the boldness of believers we don't know if you're going to take away the situation that somebody's hurting over but Lord we know that in the midst of that situation you want to strengthen them and sustain them, you want them to persevere and Lord you want them to be bold and clearly you want them to proclaim the gospel so Lord do that in our hearts for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning and we're going to sing this closing song together. And as we sing, if you would like to come and pray about anything at all, I'll be standing here. You can pray by yourself. But let's sing and praise the Lord together this morning.
1: My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again. Who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me with his light and wrote his law of righteousness and power upon my heart. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside who floods my weaknesses with strength and causes fears to fly whose every promise is enough for every step I take sustaining me with arms of love and crowning me with grace. My heart is filled with thankfulness to Him who reigns above, who's with. Wisdom is my perfect peace Whose every thought is love For every day I have on earth Is given by the King So I will give my life, my all to love and follow him. And how great is our God Sing with me how great is our God And all oh, we'll see how great How great is our God
0: thank you so much for being here with us this morning In just a moment tim johnson's going to come and close us in prayer but before you go this morning erico asked me just now they were up here praying to just share with you that in preaching this morning and the message he said that message was was for them they've got some things coming up medical wise in relation with uh, i don't know how i'm supposed much i'm supposed to share but just just keep them in prayer and and uh they, they just wanted to come and say, you know, they need your prayers, okay, I think what Eric wanted me to say, and so uh, just be praying for them, and uh, let's be praying for one another like the church family said. Isn't it part to be great of a church family? You know, a lot of people go through stuff, man. <laughs> I was visiting the hospital this week, uh, Linda Stoops' mother, Alice, and was there, and, and there's another lady sitting there, and, and she whose husband's been in the hospital a couple months, and she's been there a couple months, going to be there three more months, and she ain't got a church family. I sat there and prayed with her, shared the gospel with her, talked with her, but she ain't got nobody. Man, it, it's, it's good to have a church family. So get to know your church family so they can know you and know how to serve you and love you. And then God will be glorified in just us. You know, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Let, a, let other people observe the church in action in that way. Brother Tim, would you come and close us in prayer this morning I'm going to be standing at those back doors and I'd love that opportunity to meet you if I haven't already or just to uh, pray with you, chat with you about whatever's on your mind or heart and again, anybody that's involved and committed with everyone here uh, anybody that knew that signed up or maybe you're here this morning you say, what, well, I haven't signed up but if it's not too late, I'd like to well, we can take care of that maybe you're hoping I didn't say that but it's not too late actually So just meet me right over here, and I'll be up here in about five minutes. I'd just like to talk with you for just a few moments, all right? Tim. Let's pray.
2: Father, as we approach you in prayer right now, God, we pray that you would stir up in us a desire to approach you even more often. God, when we look at the daunting task of sharing your gospel, the privilege of sharing your gospel, but also... The task of, of doing that. God, I, I pray that, that once again, you would just stir us to lean on you, rely on you uh, in all things. God, I want to lift up Eric and Patty and the things that uh, they're going through right now. God, that you be close to them and that we would be close to them and that God, you will work everything out for good. All this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God, until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens, trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, "'We've been to space, "'and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, He lived a perfect life at the age of 30 he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the Gospel.